It's tradition, kind of in our Baptist world, to take part in Lord's Supper every now and again. Um, <clears throat> sometimes it works out to be once a quarter, kind of what we've determined. That's not necessarily biblical or unbiblical. It's just kind of something that we do. And so, uh, so, and I'll make lightly of this for a second with you, and then we'll get real serious. But um, someone asked me, well, we used to do it on the fifth Sunday. Whenever there was a fifth Sunday, we used to do that. And I asked the question, why? And there wasn't a good response, like a good reason to that, because there's just a day. And I said, so let's do it on the first Sunday after the fifth Sunday. Why not? You know, let's just change it up a little bit. Uh, you know, after our, our time this morning together, we'll take part in a, a, a lunch together. And so, uh, so it, in that kind of lunch meal mentality of when the Lord's Supper Passover meal kind of happened, that's kind of our idea. Uh, as we gather around the table, our mind is thinking about Psalm 73, can the Lord spread a table out in the wilderness? Surely he can. In fact, he has, and he has provided for us the bread of life and the cup of salvation through the blood of Jesus, and that's why we come and celebrate together. So, so the Lord's Supper, yes, it is a time for seriousness. It's a time for reflection. It's a time of thinking about Christ conquering death, taking away your sins, my sins, the sins of the entire world. So also a time of seriousness, a serious celebration of the fact that as we take part in the Lord's Supper, as we drink of the cup that represents the blood of Jesus, as we eat the bread that represents the bread of life, we get to celebrate the hope that we have in Christ. And so when we gather together to do Lord's Supper, when we open it up and say those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, who believe in his resurrection, who have followed through in baptism, those are the ones that get to participate and come, come to the table and celebrate what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do for us. So let me pray for us, and then I'll ask the deacons to come up. God, we do thank you that we can trust in you. God, that we can put our hope in you that we can rest in you. Now think about the words of Jesus in Luke 22. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So God, would you help us through your Holy Spirit as we come and we take part in this symbolic meal together, that we would submit to you. And as we have called Christ Lord, those of us who have done that, that we would submit to his authority, that we would live under that, not by our own will, but by yours, God. For yours, your will is the one that needs to be done. So God, help us during this time, through your Holy Spirit, to reflect. Maybe as we think about the blood of Christ, we would begin being convicted of sin that we are taking part in and desire to live a righteous life and be reminded of Christ's blood it's taken away our sins. God, as we reflect on the bread, and Christ being the bread of life and his body broken for us, God, help us to remember that there is life nowhere else. We can find life nowhere else. We can only find it in you. God, help us to be serious and celebrate what Christ has done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I ask the deacons to come up. And as they make their way to the front, I'm going to read for you from Luke chapter 22. 
Luke chapter 22 is a moment, we've, we've talked about it just in recent weeks actually, a moment when Christ, when Jesus is with his disciples, though he's, those who he's called to himself, come and follow me. They're sitting at a table, reclining at a table together. They're thinking about the Passover, about the fact that God's wrath has passed over them. They're thinking about these things, about the blood of the lamb. They're thinking their mind is wrapped around these things. And he says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then in verse 19 it says this, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So this is what we're taking part in this morning, just a, a reminder, a moment where we get to reflect on what Christ has done for us. So we'll pass out the bread. <clears throat> After the deacons have passed it out, they'll come back up here. One of the deacons will pray over the bread, and then we'll, uh, we'll eat of that together. All right?
read to you from Luke 22. And he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Double, you pray for us. To the cross. How your body was beaten and broken. How you were obedient to death, even to death on the cross. For our sin. Well, we thank you for the gift that you offer us. Eternal life. Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The same with the cup. We'll pass this out. Then we'll come back and read some scripture and pray. And then we'll take part together. The scripture tells us, verse 20 of Luke 22, And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. David, pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, as we take this cup,
I remember asking my mom as a child, although I'm still a child to my mom, but as a child in years, I remember asking her, hey, mom, why do you close your eyes when uh, when you're taking the Lord's Supper? She says, because I like to reflect. I want to be able to close my eyes and just, just think about Jesus. And I think uh, how often that's needed, and I know that seems very... Uh, uh, kind of new age or over spiritual. Oh, just close your eyes and think of think of Jesus. And there's many different portraits or pictures that may not actually depict him very well. But thinking about our Savior, the one I'm putting my hope in, uh, dying on the cross for my sins, taking on the weight of the world, uh, death being conquered by him, um, is definitely something that that for me as a leader, I, I want us as a pastor, I want us to be mindful of. I want to use that time of the Lord's Supper to, to be mindful of what Christ has done for us. Not doing these things out of tradition or just because it's what we've always done, but because Christ is worthy of us thinking about what he's done for us and also where he is today, where all authority, seated at the right hand of God, all authority has been given to him. Uh, he's the only one been deemed worthy of, of taking that position. And as Psalm 110 says it, his enemies are his footstool. I mean, he's at a place of authority because of the suffering that he went through, because of the holy life that he lived, and that's that's really what we get to celebrate. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6. As we talk about the battle, uh, continue on talking about the battle that you and I are in. I remind you of the words of J.D. Greer. We're not on a playground. We are on a battleground uh, daily, we're faced with um, opportunities of war, really, spiritual war that we're battling through, things that we are constantly being persuaded to look outside of Christ for. Uh, just yesterday, I was at a, a baseball game, and uh, I hear a conversation being shared with one another, and the conversation between adults, the volume became elevated. Um, they used words that are not in my vocabulary. Uh, they were really, uh, it seems, I would just say, angry with one another. I think that was just the easiest way to say it. And, um, and so as they're arguing, uh, one, uh, one gentleman said, I'm on this lady's side. And they said, did you see this happen? And he said, yes. And so the, kind of the argument stopped. And when they walked away, the rest of the story kind of came out, as Paul Harvey would say. And the gentleman said, oh, I never saw that. I just wanted that lady to be quiet and move. We are presented every day with opportunities to be people of truth or to be people of lies. I have no idea if this individual is a believer. But I think in that very moment, the man acted as if he was a child. Something that we teach often in our home to children is be people who speak the truth. Something that's even been taught in public school is be people who speak truth. Don't share lies. Speak the truth. Be people who are speaking the truth. That's just something that we talk about all the time. We, we would say a child is one who doesn't speak the truth. And in this case, an adult who seems to be mature makes an immature decision. We joked... Uh, we joked about, my dad was at a, um, a seminar one time, and the uh, first base coach for the Colorado Rockies was there giving a, a talk. And the question came up for this base coach, what is it that you share when a professional athlete, professional baseball player, comes to first base, gets on first base, what are the things that you share with this baseball player? 
And he said, I share the same things that the little league coach shares. I tell them there's one out or two outs. I tell them not to run if this happens. I tell them these things. And people kind of laugh and say, why would you have to tell a professional athlete these little league coaching things? And his answer really was, because we never really learn. We think we're mature. We think we grow up. But do we actually ever really learn? And so because of that, my, my, my thought is this morning that many of you are like me, that you're still developing in maturity. You're still uh, being a part of this, uh, this art of sanctification, still growing up in Christ, still learning things, and you're still battling every day. If you are not in spiritual warfare, if you are not tempted to respond to things unlike Christ, can I please hang out with you? Can I learn from your ways, oh wise one? How do you avoid those battles? How do you avoid Satan and the evil one? How do you get away from, from those things? But if you're like me, then when Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 6 that we need to put on the, the armor of God so that we can stand firm, this verse in verse 15 should hit right at home. Verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Let me turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Having shoes for your feet, having put on, right? Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So there's three things I want to point out here. Let's talk about the shoes. Let's talk about the readiness. And let's talk about the gospel of peace. Think about shoes for a moment. Shoes are important. If you're Forrest Gump and you want to run, you know, Forrest Gump, he's got to have some good shoes to run because that man or child ran a long ways. If you're Stanley Yelnats in the book or the movie Holes, you get thrown in jail, kid jail, but you get thrown in jail for a pair of shoes, a pair of cleats that were stolen, and he got the blame for it. Shoes are important. If you're Achilles and you want to be unstoppable, you should have wore different shoes, right? I mean, you should have, been, you should have got different shoes or different sandals. If you're John Wayne, obviously there's a particular set of shoes called cowboy boots that you wear. And I would just uh, say, if, if it were ever documented, I, I, it probably is, but if John Wayne, John Wayne was to have worn sandals, he probably would have looked pretty silly because shoes are important. Proper shoes make for uh, a better life, really. If you're going hiking, you want to wear the proper foot gear for hiking. I mean, how many of you have ever uh, been in a moment where you started walking with someone, someone said, follow me, and you started walking with them, and you had that thought of, if I would have known we were going to walk this far, I would have worn different shoes. I think about you ladies all the time, especially those who are nodding your head right now. You think all the time, I should have worn different shoes. They looked pretty. They were very fashionable. They were in my price range, or at least so I thought. And I, I, I bought them, but if I would have known life was going to be like this, I would have worn different shoes. Uh, El Cunning in northern New Mexico, three to six feet of snow. I needed different shoes, particularly snowshoes that I could stand on top of the snow instead of falling into the snow. Shoes are really, really important. 
Uh, when I helped my uh, my friends who are farmers growing up, when I helped them, there was always uh, there was always an argument about clothing. Grandpa says, our uh, papa always said, uh, you wear long pants and long shirt, and uh, and we teenagers always said shorts and cut off shirts because we want to stay cool. You never wear sh- tennis shoes; you always wear boots, is what Grandpa or papa said. And we always thought tennis shoes were easier because when it was actually quitting time, you could run to the truck and be done for the day. Uh, it just seems like shoes are an important thing. Most of us probably every day of our life put on some type of shoe, whether it's a house shoe or a running shoe or a hiking shoe or a farming shoe or a working shoe or steel toe boot, whatever it is, shoes are part of our everyday life. And as Paul is saying here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when we're facing battle, we need to wear the proper footwear. Now, a soldier back in Paul's time, they're wearing sandals. In our day today, if a soldier walks in ready for battle and they're wearing sandals, we're thinking, there's got to be a better shoe for the thing that you're going to do than the one that you're wearing today. And I think that's the point, what Paul's saying. There has to be better shoes than what the world is telling us to put on for the battle that we're facing today. So you need to put on the shoe that's going to make you ready It's going to help you in the battle that you're facing, the spiritual battle that you're facing. You need to have the proper shoe on. So when he says, as for shoes, for your feet, he's talking about shoes for your feet. That's the Greek words there. Shoes for your feet. They fit onto your feet. They bind onto your feet. They're part of what you're doing. Uh, the, the Greek word also kind of put, uh, puts it in, in this perspective that the feet that you're, the shoes that you're putting on your feet are helping you to bind under something. To put yourself under something, under the authority necessarily of Christ. When you, when you bind your feet into a shoe, you're, you're putting them in, into something, saying, this is where you're going to go for the rest of the day. This is where your feet belong for the rest of the day, so that you can be firm footed, so that you can stand firm in the battle or whatever it is that you're doing in the day, you want to be able to stand and be ready for the things you face today. So we have to have these shoes, these proper footwear for the things that we're a part of. So our mentality has to be in that always. That's why he says, as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We have this mentality that we're prepared for what's going to happen. We're putting on shoes because we know what's what's coming for the day. Uh, We have a friend that does concrete work, and he says there's two types of concrete. Concrete that's cracked, and concrete that's about to crack. That's, that's all there is. There's no other types of concrete in the world. There's concrete that's cracked, and there's concrete that's about to crack. And he's like, I'm a concrete guy. I know this. When I sell it, I say, hey, look, there's two types of concrete. Concrete that's cracked, and concrete that's going to crack. That's just the way it is. As a believer, if you've confessed Christ as Lord, what Paul is trying to remind us of here is that there's two types of people following Christ. Those who are in battle, and those who are about to experience battle. And so you better have the proper footwear on as you experience those things. Obviously, this is really, really simple. The most immature understands this. Rylan, I'm going to say a story about him. We went camping one time, and uh, Rylan, we were camping, and uh, Rylan's like two years old, and we kept fighting with him about putting his shoes on. Son, if you don't wear your shoes as we're camping, you're going to step on something that's going to hurt. And sure enough, not that I'm a prophet or my wife is one, but sure enough, Rylan stepped on a mesquite branch. 
You know, mesquite trees, they have those thorns in them. And so thankfully we have friends who are in the medical profession and had all the stuff that we could do surgery right there, pull all those things out and take care of Rowan's foot. But he learned at two years old, at two years old as an immature person that shoes are really important. We have to expect that what we're getting into, what we're going to face, what we're going to walk into, we better have proper footwear on. I mean, how did the psalmist say it in Psalm 23 when he says, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How can you have that perspective? How can you walk through the valley of the shadow of death if you're, if you're not wearing the proper footwear? I would suspect, assume, that there's at least one or two people in here that will be walking through the valley of shadow of death this week in some form or fashion. Maybe it's not physical death, but maybe it's something that just we would, we would equate to that. We would say, this is like death. This is a terrible, traumatic moment. Well, how, as a believer, can you walk through that? Well, you better, as for shoes, for your feet, you better have put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So let's talk about the readiness for a second. Um, two weekends ago, the state of Texas did a, uh, a tax-free weekend on, on prepared emergency prepared kits. So anything that you would purchase in, in the event of an emergency, we'll give it to you for tax, uh, we'll take the tax off, tax-free. Generators, first aid kits, batteries, things like that. The state of Texas says, uh, let's get you prepared for the event that may, that may come. Believer, one who has confessed Christ as Lord, do you know that the battle is coming? And if so, are you ready for that? Do you wake up in the morning saying, as Mr. Rogers would do, I'm going to put on the proper uniform for what I'm about to do. I'm going to clothe my feet with the proper footwear for what's about to happen. Do we wake up in the morning and I know it seems strange, but mentally, spiritually prepare ourselves for the day that's ahead? Or do we just wake up, put on something, and go and hope that we can stand in the face of evil? We have to be, we have to be ready. We have to know about being, uh, as Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, being ready as a preacher of the word, as one who's going to present the word, we need to be ready in season and out of season. As a hunter and fisherman, fishing is the best because it's always in season. Hunting, there's only a specific season, and so you long for that season to come around. What are you doing when it's not hunting season? You're preparing for hunting season. You're thinking about it. You're scouting. You're preparing for that moment. It's the same with our walk with Christ. Though it may not seem, oh, it's not, I'm not in the right season to share the gospel. You better be prepared in season and out of season with the readiness of the gospel of peace to present the hope that you have in Christ. He would go on to say in verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. We think an evangelist is like Billy Graham, great evangelist. An evangelist is basically just one who brings good tidings, one who brings the good news. That should be everyone that has experienced the good news of Christ should be ready to give up the hope that you have in Christ, doing the work of an evangelist. What is the good news? What has Christ done for you? What is Christ doing for you? What is Christ going to do for you? 
We're ready to share. We're doing the work in evangelism, ready to share the good news about Jesus Christ. We're always ready for that. And what are we ready for? We're, we're putting on shoes. We're, we're putting on these shoes that are making us ready for something. Ready? What's, what's making us ready? How can we stand? How can we walk through the valley of shadow of death? How can we do that? Well, it's because of the gospel of peace. Not a, not a different gospel. Not something new. But the gospel of peace, the good news of the peace that we have between us and God. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We'll probably read through verse 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This really is the gospel. I mean, this is the good news. That because of Jesus, you're, you're, you're no longer against God. There's no longer this division between you and him. There's no longer a fight between you and God. Instead, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Thanks be to God that the, the psalmist didn't, didn't write in Psalm 23, even though I crawl through the valley of shadow of death, even though I bear crawl or belly crawl through the valley of the shadow of death, but instead he says, even though I walk. Why? Because walking means you're standing up. And that's hope for us, that even in that moment of trauma, even in that moment of death, we can stand because of what we've obtained through Jesus. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3 says this, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put, put us to shame because God's, Love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. This is what you're putting on every day. When he says, put on the shoes with the readiness that you've been given through the gospel of peace, and you think, well, our preacher says we got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Preach this to you. Every, preach this to yourself every day. Think about Romans 5, 1 through 11 here. Think about this moment. For while I was still weak, at the right time, Christ died for me. Think about that. That's the gospel. And because of that, I can stand. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I can still stand in this moment because I'm putting on, on my feet, I'm clothing myself, ready to walk with this gospel. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. This is Jesus we're talking about. Since therefore we have uh, now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his Life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, though through whom we now have received reconciliation. Th this is the gospel of peace. This is what we're talking about, that we have peace between us and God, that we don't have to cower down, that we can stand firm. We can, 
be ready with this gospel of peace. That we can have peace in our life because Christ, because of what Christ has done for us and is doing for us and will do for us. We can stand firm in that. I mean, really, what is, what, what is peace even? I mean, peace really, I mean, a definition would be just be an exemption from the rage and havoc of war. I mean, Paul is telling us here in Ephesians 6 that we are at battle, but how can we have peace in the middle of, of battle? How can we be exempt from the things that are going on around us? I mean, the havoc of war, the things that go around on us, the, the, the screams, the cries, the, the things that are going on around us, how can we still stand and have peace in that moment because of because of Christ. It's a shame that it always comes down to something simply as keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. But that's the case. Mom, why do you close your eyes when we take the Lord's Supper? Because I want to focus on Jesus. But why, how do you stand in the face of trauma? Well, I keep my eyes focused on Jesus. How do you stand in the midst of war? How can you have peace in this moment? I keep my hope and my eyes fixed upon Jesus. I wish it was more than that. I wish I could tell you five steps to complete peace, but really it's only through Jesus. Try. Please try. Please try and have peace through something else and come back to me and say it doesn't work so we can use it as an example, a good example, but so we can use it as an example. Peace only comes through Christ. So how can we have an exemption from the rage and the havoc of war that happens around us? We have to have we have to have Christ. And we have to preach that gospel to ourselves every day. I mean, think about the things that are tripping you up. Think about the things that are bringing you down and pulling you down. I mean, there's a number of things. Family, that's, let's just start with there. How often does your family trip you up? How often does your family pull against you? You want to go in this direction, but your family pulls you in the other direction. Or the weight of trying to care for so many things, I'm burdened often. I'll just be real with you. I'm burdened often with a grandmother that I want to spend more time with. FaceTime doesn't work with my grandmother. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it needs to be more than just FaceTime or through the internet. It needs to be more than that. And I'm burdened with, well, I want to, I want to do these things, but I feel this call, but yet I get tripped up often. Now, Lord, how can I stand? I stand with the gospel of peace, keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. Granny, you know, please pray for me. Granny, please pray for me in this moment that I'm, I'm wanting to lead people to the kingdom purpose. I'm wanting to lead people to peace in, in Jesus. So pray for me. Let's have conversation, but don't be a trip up. Don't be one that's pulling me, pulling me back. Family can be that way. Finances can be a thing. Uh, maybe only for me, but finances can be a thing. How can we afford this? How will we pay this? When will this come through? Will we ever be on top of any of this? Oh, there's just every day there's more and more and more. Family. Finances. Oh, this is such a preachery, preachery sermon. <laughs> and fun. Fun things trip us up all the time. We look at it. We're living in an entertaining world. We want to have fun. We want to have more fun. Girls, they just want to have fun. We know that. Uh, it's just one of those things. I mean, it just it can trip us up. We get so sidetracked with the things that are going on around us. Yeah, but don't you just want to do this because it's, it's fun and we hear those cries and we hear those pleas towards towards us. Just do these things and that fun will trip me up. And so i got to stay away from that. It's waging war against me and I want to stand firm in the midst of battle. And so I'm going to put on the gospel of peace on my feet. And be ready so I can so I can stand. Last set of scripture, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 will we'll begin in verse 22. Matthew 14, 
Verse 22, a very familiar story for you. Uh, we've talked about already that when we're talking about putting on the clothes, putting on the armor, uh, putting on these shoes, really that phrase to put on means to sink into. That we're letting our life sink into it, letting it form who we are, not trying to just fit into it, but we're sinking into it. We're letting our lives be conformed to it, to the gospel, to the truth from God. We're letting our lives be formed to that. Not us trying to fit our lives or fit the gospel around us, but instead us fit into it. Sinking into it. Shared your story with you last week about sinking in the mud. So let's talk about another sinking moment. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go before them to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So he is Jesus. He got in, they got into a boat because they were near water. They were at a lake, okay, a big lake. So he had his disciples get into a boat and paddle or sail to the other side. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain to be by himself, to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from land. I don't know what a long way is for you. I'm not sure what that, what that equates, equates to as far as mileage goes. Some, some people think that a long way is from here to the Fellowship Hall. So I'm not sure what a long ways is to you, but we, we can identify here that it's further Right? Than just easy walking distance. It's going to take some time to get to. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So think for a moment, believer. Think for a moment, those of us who have confessed Christ as Lord. If you're in this moment here, if you're a part of this experience, you're facing a battle. And this battle happens to be wind and trust. And you're on this boat. What are the things that you say? Well, in our context, we would say, hang on just a second. Uh, the wind should die down in at least 30 minutes according to the weather app. So if we just hang on for another 30 more minutes, the weather app has told me that we're going to make it through this. Or, or, or maybe you would say things like, I've seen this before. The boat's probably going to tip over. I have my life vest on. I hope you guys can swim. You know, I mean, these are the types of things that we say in our world today. Just hang in there. It's going to be all right. We're, we're, we're going to make it through this. You, you got this. Think about yourself in this position. The wind is howling. The boat is rocking. It's a battle. It's rocking your world. It's challenging you. It's health issues. It's death. It's finances. It's family. It's fun. It's these things that rock our world every day. What do we say? What do we do? Who do we turn to? But the boat by this time was a long ways from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, I wonder if Matthew, as he's writing this, put that in there for us on purpose. But the boat was a long ways from land. So even, huh, Jesus just seems so far away. Like we trust in him, but he seems so far away. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, how can I stand? How can I walk in that? Christ seems so far away. You have to begin 
preaching the gospel of peace to yourself. Though he seems far away, he has, he has, he has told us that he will never leave us. He's here. Though he ascends into heaven, he leaves us his Holy Spirit to comfort us, to be here with us. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Unexpected, first at the time. We'll probably see him in the morning. I'm sure Christ will come at some point. He'll come around the corner at some point. Have you ever said that? I know at some point God's going to show up. That's a phrase in our world today. I know at some point. I just don't know when it's going to happen, but I know at some point God's going to show up. And we, we are always blindsided by how he does show up. Though it's, so the Bible makes it pretty clear in a number of ways. We can just look in the truth and see how he shows up. But in this moment, in the fourth watch of the night, he came walking on the water. Wouldn't it have been just easier if Christ would have just grabbed another boat, paddled his way, supernaturally paddled real quickly, just showed up in another boat? Hey, it's me, Jesus. Wouldn't it have just been easier if he would have uh, not shown the disciples that he could walk on water instead just supernaturally speed run like flash onto the other side where they're going to meet and just meet up? How'd you get here? I took, I took a glider maybe. I, I took a plane. I just got here. Just a faster boat than yours. But instead he shows up walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. It's like Scooby-Doo. ruh It's a roast. It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They cried out in fear because they'd never experienced anything like this. If they had put on their shoes that morning with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and their eyes would have been fixed on Christ, maybe they would have recognized, That's no ghost. That's, that's our Savior. That's, that's Jesus. That's the Son of God. Like John would say, that's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. This is what we're looking for. Uh, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, God, my eyes are looking for you. I, I'm, I'm fixed on you. I want to see you in this, in this moment. That's the gospel of peace. And Jesus, says so Jesus immediately spoke to them saying, Take heart. Calm down. Don't stress out. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus is yelling to his disciples, basically, calm down. Don't stress in this moment. Don't be anxious in this moment. Don't worry in this moment. Instead, look who I am. Put your eyes and your gaze upon me. And Peter, being the great leader that he is, he answered him. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Let me walk on this water. Let me step out of this boat in faith and let me walk on the water. Maybe you've heard this story before. I don't know. Maybe. I haven't been here that long, so I don't know what stories you've heard or not. Verse 29 says, he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, not when he saw Jesus, but when he saw the battle around him, and his eyes got off of Christ. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. How can you, in the midst of battle, be exempt from the havoc and the rage of war? You have to be equipped with the gospel of peace. How can you, when the wind is howling around, how can you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus if you don't know who Jesus is? Because, because if it's me in the boat... I'm yelling at Peter. I knew it. I knew you couldn't do it. 
You thought you could, but you're human. Or, or maybe you're not like me, and maybe you're one of those people who's like, just going to encourage. Come on, Peter, you got this. Just move a little faster. Jump. Move your arms. Think positive thoughts. Remember what we taught you in Jewish school. Those things, don't forget about those. But I wonder if there was anybody in the boat. Hardly happens in our world today. Was there anybody in the boat that was just yelling, just look at Jesus. Just put your eyes on Jesus. Just, just focus back on Jesus. Don't look at the wind. Don't look at the battle around you. Find peace in Jesus. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took a hold of him, saying to him, O ye, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the, in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. How can you walk through the valley of shadow of death? How can you battle and have peace in the middle of battle with your eyes focused on Jesus, being ready and fitted with shoes on that represent the gospel of peace that you have between yourself and God because of Jesus? For his name's sake, he leads you in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake, he lets you stand up and walk, fitted with the feet, fitted on your feet, the gospel of peace. Our eyes focused on him. The wind howls, the people yell. People say things in our world today to try and discourage you. People say things in this world today that try and encourage you with things that are not from God. I would say this and end with this. Look at Jesus. When you're in the middle of a battle, fix your eyes on Jesus. When family pulls you away and tries to trip you up, look to Jesus. When finances seem overwhelming and you, you see no way out, look to Jesus. Not to provide necessarily for all your bills that you might have gotten yourself into, but for the peace that can surpass all understanding that you can still stand and give Him glory. And when fun overtakes life, and tries to trip you up and begins to make you think that it is your God and the winds howl and you think, I kind of like the wind. This is kind of fun over here. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Probably too simple, God. I know it is. I know it's been heard. But I also know there are believers here this morning who struggle like myself, who find things to dwell on that are not Christ, who worry when the wind howls. God, we should just trust in the one who controls it. Fix our eyes upon the one who's, who's been given all authority. Trust in you and you alone. And God, we do know that we can come into your presence and stand because of the blood of Jesus, because we've been reconciled to you, God. But we also know that in honor of you, because you are worthy, that we should humbly bow to you. We know that, that we should come to you in reverence with awe and trembling because of who you are and what you're capable of, or we, we know that you're capable of. So God, help us in the midst of battle, in the midst of war, 
in the midst of wind, whatever it is, God, help us to trust in you. Help us to look to you for for our help and our ever-present ever danger. God, help us to look to you for all of our needs. And help us to be fitted on our feet, ready 